So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Rockstar Nation, I have a special show for you today. It is the Wednesday news show. I got a new show that I put together just for you based on very, very timely news for today. Yes, today. So we're going to try out this format. If you guys like it, we will continue it because there's so much happening with real estate news, real estate brokerages, things changing in the industry. That I thought a short news program every single Wednesday would serve the Rockstar Nation the best. Of course, Monday and Fridays will be our regular shows. And I'm calling this State of the Market. Hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think. Send us an email to info at rebusuniversity.com or simply go on to Facebook and go to Next Level Agents. If you're not a member, please join or... Just go to Real Estate Rockstars with Pat Hyben. There's another one out there now. So go to Real Estate Rockstars with Pat Hyben and join that too. Give us a comment. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Rockstar Nation. Thanks for tuning into the State of the Market podcast with your host, Pat Hyben and Kevin Kaufman. Hey, Next Level Agents and Real Estate Rockstars, Pat Hyben, how you doing, buddy? Welcome back. Kevin Kaufman, buddy. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I had a uh, had a stand-in for you last week, buddy, and she rocked it, man. So I just want to, number one, say thanks a lot for uh, giving me a break for a week. That was fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, it's always good to get different voices on here, especially where it's you know female as well. I know I'm March 12th, I'm going to be out of town too. I have to do a site visit to a shopping center that I own in Houston. And uh, I got Carrie Shull from the Shull team in, in Northern Virginia going to step in and do the show on then. And, and and I think it's great because everybody has a different perspective on news. You know, everyone, everyone looks at things either half full or half empty. And so it's good to get uh, different opinions. And, and you guys crushed it. I mean, you could probably take this show over without me. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, man. You you definitely carry your weight. There's there's no doubt about it. But uh, we can't let her uh, come in too many times. Otherwise, one of us is going to be out of a job. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, it's good to be back and good to be looking at uh, real estate news. Uh, some some really interesting things are happening. And I think what we should talk about first and foremost today. It seems like a lot of the chat boards on Facebook, uh, a lot of agents out there bitching and complaining because they're markets have tended to slow up a little bit let's chat about that i mean it is january which is generally a low month but for january it's even lower compared to several other januaries in the past couple years yeah you know i was looking at some stats because you and i started talking about this and you know just reviewing what happened in in the phoenix market in, in december and then what's happening so far this month something that really stood out to me about the phoenix market pat was that December was the weakest month of sales since 2014. 
when since December of 14, like 6,400 sales. And that, that sounds like a lot for some markets, but in the Phoenix market, that is actually pretty low. And, and so, you know, it was, uh, it, it was interesting to see that many, number one, that low of a closing volume or number of units, but then listings going under contract in December was the lowest Phoenix has seen since January of 2008. Wrap your head around that for a second. Yeah, let me slow that down because January 2008, you're talking 11 years ago. Like, yeah. And that was a crappy – I mean, that was probably one of the worst Januarys ever. And that's things going under contract in the month of December. I mean, that is a – that's a long shot, dude. That's not even like, oh, worse than last year. 2008, what a drop. I, I looked at some Maryland stats. And I saw that uh, in Maryland, the number of units in January dropped 21.3%. Number of units sold just in the month of January. I mean, just in the month of December, I'm sorry. Okay, that's, uh, that's pretty, that's a big, 20% is a big drop, man. What do you, what do you think's going on? Like, uh, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, Pat, what's going on? You have a crystal ball, but, you know, obviously, you've got a lot of experience in the, in the market and, in seeing things, what, in your humble opinion, what do you think is happening? Why such a big slowdown in December and sluggish start to January? Well, I think all markets correct. And I think that what happens is obviously you get, you know, I, I think the move up buyers, right, are the ones that are starting to slow big time. Like they're going from their first home to a second home. And they're locked into such a low interest rate on the first home. And they're looking at today's rates and it's, you know, a percent, a percent and a half, 2% higher. And they're like, yeah, I got a fixed rate at this low rate. Why would I, why would I increase? Yeah. You know, that very well could be the case. You know, it, it just, it seems funny that just a few months ago, the appetite seemed a little bit heavier for the buyers. Like they were willing to, to make these moves and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's always seasonal changes, but when you compare it to previous Decembers, it's, it was low. And so it makes me wonder kind of what's going on in the mind of the buyers. I don't know if there's also a little fatigue out there because it has been so competitive and like here in Phoenix, anyways, it's been fairly competitive. So I'm wondering if that plays into it as well. Uh, and as well as, you know, I don't know, maybe the government shutdown plays into it and just kind of the mind of buyers as far as like what's going on and how will things be in the future in the near future it's pretty interesting times for sure i i hear it on both sides i talked to one agent last week and he's like man we had our our best december ever in the history of our company i think he said he, their company did 50 million in volume just in december wow um, and this is a small boutique company of like you know 30 agents or something and I talked to another agent a, a little while ago, and, and I was like, how's the market? He says, the market sucks. He said, all the sellers, you know, are thinking that they can get more than they actually can. And he said, you know, I got houses on the market that aren't even getting looked at. He says, anything in the upper range is like crickets. That's pretty interesting. You know, we, um, just in our own business, we noticed definitely more listings coming on to us, coming on for us and coming onto the market in January than, than in previous Januaries. Uh, I'm curious 
if our marketing time on these are going to stay relatively the same or if we're going to see a, a big shift one way or the other. This is something probably worth checking back on in two to four weeks just to see how things are going uh, since the uh, turn of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, we'll keep an eye on it and talk about it every week. You know what I mean? Because that's, you know, you know people, agents need to know. They need to know because, you know, if there's a train coming, it's a, it's a time to start getting price reductions before your competitors start getting price reductions. Right. And that's a skill that not a lot of agents have had to learn in the last decade, uh, at least not the last five, six years, because everything just kept going up. But there's no doubt uh, that price reduction scripts are going to be a big thing in 2019. You know, I was interviewing uh, my friend Leo Pereja, who owns Remind, a couple weeks ago for, for my podcast. And he, he actually said that. He said, you know, one of the number one things you can do in 2019 is dust off those price reduction scripts for your listings because the market will likely slow down a little bit and it's going to be necessary to do that. Can't just price it and put it on the market and wait for it to sell in 24 hours. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, here's the thing. I was talking to somebody else about this uh, drop and they said, well, our prices are going up. There was an article in their local paper. They said the prices are going up. And I told them, I said, listen, that's not the number to look at. The, the number to look at is transactions because transactions are what it's all about. Getting paid, getting paid commissions, and, uh, you know, a lot of these numbers about average sales price are thrown off by the builders because if builders are building more houses, and let's get it straight, builders, and you guys talked about this last week with Microsoft, builders are not building affordable things. They build higher-end houses, more expensive houses. So they jack up the average sale price because of their building. And uh, they really, if you're going to look at those numbers, you got to look at resale only. And what are resale prices doing? You know what I mean? To get yeah. a I would agree. You know, just to, to further emphasize your point here in Phoenix, while the number of sales going down was going down last month, the price was going up. Uh, but what was really interesting is the rate in which it's going up has definitely slowed. Uh, and the, it seems the overall thought around the Phoenix market is, is that'll probably continue this year, should stay above inflation. But It'll be really interesting to see what happens throughout 2019 with number of homes that sell, of course, and of you know the the price being that that trailing number. Yeah, I get it absolutely. Let's let's talk about what's going on uh, with Fannie Mae. I saw you know Fannie Mae stock price shot up 40 percent, right? Big news, big news. I mean, so I, I'm not an expert by any means, but from what I, obviously I think people know from the crash, they've been under the government's watch, if you will. And there is now a big push to take them fully private again. And the, I guess the argument is, is that they're actually totally self-sustaining. But while they're under government control, what happens is the profits from the company no, I mean, by the government, right? It's, I guess it's probably the reward for saving them. Maybe it's the tax for saving them, depending on how you look at it. But their argument is, hey, we can stand alone now. And we've been able to for quite some time. And apparently there's been a few court cases recently that said, you know what? You're right. Uh, this needs to happen. And if that does happen, apparently it'll push up the, the price of the stock fairly significantly.
Amazing read for agents who want to blow their business up. Six Steps to Seven Figures was an amazing read. Pat breaks it down into simple, actionable steps that if taken will almost guarantee seven-figure success in the real estate sales business. Couldn't recommend this enough. Wow. Thank you for the awesome Amazon review, Garo215. Now, do you want to get your hands on this book for free and blow your business up? Here's how. Go to freesixstepsbook.com. That's free, S-I-X, stepsbook.com right now. Or simply text the word PAT to 444-999. That's text PAT to 444-999 and I'll send you a free book. Yeah, I know that, you know, it all, it all started when this guy, Steve Munchen, or Mnuchin, who is Trump's treasury nominee, said, you know, it was on his top 10 list of things to do, was to privatize Fannie and Freddie. Uh, the funny thing is, like a lot of, you know, the newspapers say, jump 40%, right? But, you know, Fannie and Freddie were private, obviously, until, you know, they failed and government saved them. And at that time, it went from $66 a share down to, to a dollar. If you look at the history of Fannie Freddie stock price, the hype, the highest Fannie and Freddie stock ever sold for was $86.75. $86.75 was on October 1st, 2000. Now it's at like three bucks, right? So they're like, yeah, it jumped up 40% to three bucks, but it's still at like less than 5% of what it was at its peak. Yeah, that's a good point. 95%. Like if you're a grandma and you've owned it 30 years, I mean, you're hating life. It's still low as dirt. Yeah, I guess if, uh, you know, it's all perspective, right? When you buy, I guess if you bought in the last couple of years, uh, you could be really happy about this news and, and that could be good or, or maybe not. We'll see what happens. But gosh, I can't fathom that, you know, 66 bucks, 80 bucks a share and, now we're talking about the big news of it being all the way back to floating around $3. I mean, that's quite the drop-off. Yeah, it's funny. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Who knows what will happen, but, you know. But, yeah, there's big profits there. But at the same time, the market's slowing up, you know. I mean, you know, it's certainly not going to be as profitable as it was in the heyday when they were just giving out loans to everybody. So, <laughs> Anyways, let's, uh, let's move on from that. What else is going, going good in the news, uh, real estate news? Well, you know, kind of along the same lines, I mean, it seems like rates are still staying fairly low. I mean, I think everyone came into this year going, yep, rates are definitely going up. The Fed made the announcement and here we go. I think I was looking at the uh, 30-year fixed rates still hovering around just over 4%. And uh, I mean, that's, that's still really low. So I'm curious what kind of impact that's going to have if we'll actually see those rates make a move this year like a lot of people had uh, suggested. They will. They'll go up. They're not going down. They're going to go up. They expect it to go up at least once. I mean, they they pushed it up, you know, more than more than I think one or two more times than they said they would last year. But yeah, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, that should uh, be fun. Let's talk about Compass. You know, saying that they're not going to expand. Yeah, pumping the brakes on 2019. It said that's that's fairly interesting. Obviously, a big. I, I don't want to say change, of course, but, you know, they 
they had this rallying cry of, you know, 20% by 2020 in the top 20 markets. And I, I guess if you're not going to expand into any new markets in 2019, that, that could make that goal, which they seem to have raised a lot of capital around, that could make that kind of hard to achieve. So I'm curious what's going on with, uh, with, with them sort of changing their course of action here. Yeah, just... You know, any publicly owned company, right, is public, right? Uh, public? They're, they're still private, but they've got so much money from SoftBank, et cetera, that I would imagine that they'll be public sooner or later. Well, you know, you know, any company like that that has pressure from so many people outside of the guy running the company, they're constantly going to be telling me to, like, speed up and slow down, speed up and slow down. You know, and I guess, you know, I know some people that joined uh, – Compass last year and, um, and, and and got nice little packages. And I think they're probably just drawing the line and saying, hey, you know, we can't get you the same thing as this guy and we're going to make it public. We're not going to do that anymore. And they're just going to focus. I think what they're trying to do is just focus on like several metropolitan areas and growing and not try to be all for everybody. It'd be more of a metropolitan type company rather than try to spread out all throughout the United States. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that would appear to be the case. I mean, number one, they've, they've publicly declared we're just not going to pay as much for new acquisitions. Uh, and then number two, it would make sense if we're not going into new places, obviously they still got to grow. So they're going to grow deeper where they're currently at. It'll be interesting to see their rate of growth with them not being willing to write the same checks that they have been writing. I'm curious as to their recruiting strategy and growth strategy without having sort of that open checkbook that they've, that they've been able to use the last couple of years. Um, that'll, that'll be really interesting to track this year, in my opinion. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. How about not only Keller Williams, but, but mainly Keller Williams coming out and saying, you know, second quarter, which is only two months away, they're going to launch an iBuyer program to compete with Open Door. Yeah, that'll be interesting. You know, it's funny because I've seen some reaction uh, online in the different groups where people are going, oh, no, how could they do this to their agents? And, you know, I look at, I look at it as, well, it's, a, it's another tool in the tool belt. I think uh, Realogy had also announced one last year as well. I don't know that they have a start date yet like, like KW has announced. Uh, but it's, it's pretty interesting. To me, it's, it's another tool in the tool belt. It, I don't want to say it's definitely just another guaranteed sale. But it's obviously, it's a way to get the phone to ring and to start some conversations. And it provides a route for some potential sellers to, to explore. There's, it's obviously got legs. I mean, look at what Zillow Open Door and OfferPad has been able to do already. And so if the brokerages can go in and sort of control a portion of that business, why, why wouldn't they? To me, it seems like it's maybe, maybe it's defensive, but it's also a smart offensive strategy as well. If you really break it down, I don't think they're trying to hurt their agents. hundred percent smart. I mean, you know, these big, big agents, giant teams have been offering a guaranteed sale for a long time. And, and, and everybody knows it's a bait and switch. Everybody knows that the whole idea of a guaranteed sale is, is to get the listing appointment. So you can, you know, sell it for market value. Now, what Open Door, Zillow, OfferPad, all these guys have done is they've taken the gimmickiness out of it, the car salesmanship out of it, and it's like we're gonna put our money where our mouth is. This right here on the 
on the in the internet we're going to give you an offer this is going to be your offer you know which you could take or not take and it, you know what i mean it takes the bait and switch idea out of it now there's going to be a shit ton of leads for everybody from any of these companies that have this i think because a lot of people will be like, no, I'm not taking that. It's too low. Okay, well, let me get you one of our agents to sell it market value. So I think it's a good thing. I think it, it, it competes because I know a lot of big teams out there have been creating their own iBuyer program, which is just a, a more technical guaranteed sale to compete with these guys. So now the company, Keller Williams, and the company, Reology, is creating it for all the agents. Yeah, you know, the part that I find interesting, I mean, it's smart. To me, this is a good business move by the big brokerages. Uh, KW knows what they're doing. Realogy knows what they're doing. I know some teams. My buddy Nick Shivers has got something like this in Portland. Uh, Anthony Lamacchia has got something like this for his brokerage. Uh, and so th this is something that is very uh, timely and what's going on. What, I, what I'm going to find interesting is for the models like, say, a KW, where they haven't necessarily dished out leads in the past, what is that relationship going to be like? At Re Realogy, you know, they've, they've always had this sort of thing where they'll sell leads, whether that be through their relocation services or Zip Realty, which they acquired a number of years ago, et cetera. Uh, for online leads. I think that that'll be interesting to see how that works out because obviously this should generate a ton of business for the company. And again, I think at the end of the day, it's really smart. How does it get executed on the ground floor? I think will be the, the game changer and no different than it is for the actual iBuyers like, like Zillow and Open Door and OfferPad, et cetera. Yeah, the agents will probably raise their hand. They might pay money or they might just pay a referral fee, but they'll raise their hand and say, you know, I want to be I want, to, I want my buyer leads, and then the broker will then have to figure out how to disseminate them. Should be interesting. I'm excited for them to launch, though, because the more the more of them we have out there doing this, number one, the faster they're going to get to their saturation, which I don't think is going to take away everyone's job. Uh, but number two, it's going to tell us what are we really looking at in the future, uh, and and what you know what is it? How do we adjust and continue to compete as? real estate agents, real estate teams, et cetera, for, the, for this new market. Yeah, yeah, everything's changing. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. You know, I had always thought that this the iBuyer thing would go away, you know just because the need for speed 
in my mind, is relative to the market. Like the market is, is so fast now that the need for speed, people need things faster. And I think I'm starting to pitch myself differently. Like I think it's going to stay around. I don't think it's like something new that's going to change drastically over the years. And then, you know, there's never going to be this need for speed. There's never going to be house flippers. There's never going to be people trying to profit from, from buying things low and up and selling high. Although it will drop down because the margins will become less and less on these deals. But it'll just be interesting to watch as the margins drop, what happens, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting. And, and again, as, a, as somebody who's active still in the market today, I just look at it as, this is just somebody who's playing in our sandbox and it's we've got to get used to it as agents. I'm probably a little more used to it than most because here in Phoenix is where it started four and a half plus years ago. And so my guess is, you know, it's always, it's going to be there uh, like you. I don't think they're going away. Uh, to what extent do they control the market or what portion of the market do they control and what are my ways to either make money in and around them or with them? in some cases maybe but you know at the end of the day i was doing a talk a couple of weeks ago here in phoenix at the end of the day as the fiduciary though when i when i take a listing or i go sit and consult with a client if that's the best option for them that's the best option for them it's my duty as the fiduciary to put their needs and their financial interests ahead of my own uh, now if, hopefully i'll find a way to still make a profit from that and still be profitable uh, but i you know, I just, I'm going to have to recognize as a realtor in 2019 and beyond that I'm just going to have to find a way to work with these guys. Yeah, it's funny. That used to be a big concern. I remember when, the first, when, when flipping first came out, you know, 15 years ago, or when it came out big, bigger, and more of a sh sh sure way to do it, you know, the big concern was like if I buy this little old lady's house for 220 and then flip it for 250 you know, three months later, she's going to sue me for that extra 30 and told her that I, and tell me that I breached my fiduciary duty, you know, and, and as just in 15 years ago, as it is today, you know, it's up to the agent just to basically clarify and spell out like a third grader understands to that little old lady that you are doing this for the purpose of making a profit. Yeah. No doubt about that. And, and I'm, I know here in Phoenix, I'm assuming there in Maryland as well, and maybe in some of your markets as well, uh, if you're listening, I'd love to hear your feedback, whether in the Facebook group or uh, commenting, et cetera, on the posts for Real Estate Rockstars and, and the podcast. But, you know, we've got a lot of wholesalers in Phoenix, a lot. And so that's been the big question, too, is a lot of the wholesalers are realtors and they've got a license. And so when any time that there is a licensed person who is, I mean, not even taking title to the property, but just assigning a contract and, and making a spread on it. You know, not a lot of brokers around here are, are super comfortable with that. Some of them are more comfortable with it. And I think it comes down to obviously intent and disclosure, uh, but it, it'll be interesting. I think in the next couple of years, as that probably starts to slow down a little bit, what's the after effect uh, with, with as many people that have gotten into wholesaling in the last couple of years? Yeah, that'll be interesting. All right, good stuff, man. Well, you got any other news for me? Yeah, man, one last thing, and then we should probably get running. But this just jumped out to me. I couldn't help but notice if a Dropbox 
the business collaboration platform. I'm sure a lot of us save documents on it. I know I do. Oh, yeah. They bought HelloSign. It's an e-signature program I, I happen to use uh, in addition to some of the other e-signature programs for like $230 million. Holy dirt. Like, how did they come up with these prices? That's crazy. Where do they get that kind of money, man? I guess we're in the wrong business path. Maybe we should have started Dropbox or something else like that so we could go out and buy an e-sign company with 80,000 customers for a couple hundred mil. Yeah, well, I guess the play is, you know, you're going to you're gonna store documents there. Why not just get an instant signature on them instead of moving them to a signature platform, you know? Makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. So really cute, really interesting to see what happens with this over the over the next couple of years. Dropbox obviously making a bigger push into the business world and uh, to see how that continues to grow will, will be interesting. Obviously, it probably helps a lot of us as realtors here in, in our market. So I'm curious to see how this, uh, how this improves their product as a user. Well, you know, the funny part about this, Kevin, is, is, is the whole e-sign movement started with real estate agents. Yep. Yeah, it really. Started. Now it's in all kinds of industries. Right now it's in everything. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. That wasn't just a couple of weeks ago. You and I were talking about being able to do an entire transaction electronically. And uh, gosh, if this isn't just one more step in that direction, I don't know what is. You know, I mentioned this to a guy that owns a very, very large title company. And I said, what do you think about this? You know, was Redfin going to settlements where you don't have to leave the home? And he said he didn't agree with it because... He said people are still nervous about, you know, buying a, you know, a four hundred thousand dollar house and bringing four hundred thousand dollars of money to the table and, and and exchanging it for a key. To them, is so much more secure than kind of doing it online with a wire. And and it, what he, what he said makes a lot of sense. So it'll be really curious to see how that takes off or or doesn't. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that's an interesting perspective and thought and. I'm sure like anything, if this really makes a change, uh, it's just going to take a while. And by a while, I mean a number of years, if not a decade plus. So who knows? But interesting times, man. Pat, hey, man, good to have you back this week. I'm looking forward to next week. Anything else pressing going on that you got today? No, I think that covers it, bro. So we'll, let's, we'll, I'll see you in a week. And uh, best of luck to you. Happy selling. Right on, man. We'll see you next week, brother. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning into the State of the Market Podcast with your host, Pat Hyben and Kevin Kaufman. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Market. If you have any news you would like us to cover, please go to Next Level Agents on Facebook or send an email to info at rebusuniversity.com. That's info at Rebus University, R-E-B-U-S, university.com, and we'll be sure to bring it up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.